Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 798th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is on a journey to a more fulfilling lifestyle. We are talking with Cami Prada about being a beginning farmer. Rooted from the vibrant city of Miami Beach, the concept of farming was a distance echo in Cami's upbringing. It wasn't until adulthood that the notion of sustainability ignited her passion for earth stewardship. In May of 2022, she made a big move to a small quaint town called Burnsville, North Carolina. After a corporate layoff, she found solace and purpose as a farmer at a local farm that doubles as an honor produce stand. Embracing the rural lifestyle, she also lends a hand to a beekeeper friend, sharing the golden sweetness of local honey at her community farmer's market. As she delves into the rich tapestry of this new chapter, her aspirations include cultivating the land, fostering community bonds, and dreaming of a self-sufficient future. This is just the beginning of a fulfilling journey toward a more conscious and connected existence. Welcome to the show today, Cammie. Are you ready to rock? Heck yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, I feel like deep down inside, I've always just, I feel like children are really into nature. And so growing up, my kind of nature was the beach. <laughs> mm, growing yes. up in Miami Beach, that was just our, our thing that we had. So I don't think we had the Everglades. I can't not say that Florida doesn't have beautiful things or South Florida in particular, but I, I didn't really know until I got older, just how wonderful it is to be surrounded by nature and mm. how it just makes you feel really good. <laughs> and I just wanted to be more surrounded by nature. I would catch myself Obviously, living in Miami Beach, I only really had the beach closest to me to go and let it out. It started with my mother. She was really passionate about giving back to the community, and she loved the ocean, and she did, unfortunately, pass away when I was in Aww. high school. Yeah, and so 
I was really connected with the ocean anytime I would want to go. I felt like she was there watching me and mm. giving me a hug. And so the ocean and me have a really special connection. And every time I would go visit the ocean, I would start seeing trash just come up through the waves. And I started picking up trash. And that's how it started, obviously, along with some of these Netflix documentaries about what's going on in our world. But it really just started with beach cleanups and me getting frustrated about the things that I was picking up and then realizing that I use those same items every day and I can make a conscious effort to reduce that if I wanted to. And so I was very passionate about that. Some of my friends know that about me and I had a whole social media platform crazy about my planet that was all about that. And then COVID hit <laughs> mm. and I it was social media was not the place for me. I took a very long break away from it. Friends would say I hid under a rock and now <laughs> I am emerging from that rock and I live in a new state and I am in a student mode because I am now learning about this new land and this new way of life and these new seasons. Oh my God, the seasons. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up in Phoenix. I was in Phoenix for 54 years and there was oh pretty gosh. much one season yeah <laughs> from about april 1st to about november 1st it was hot <laughs> and then the rest of the year it was warm yeah that was yeah. it <laughs> we can relate to that for sure i think in miami if we got by around 60s people took out their parkas their uggs like we really were <laughs> all out whereas here it's 30 degrees outside right now where i am so <laughs> I, I i used to learn about these seasons in textbooks like snowflakes and ice and leaves changing colors right and leaves, leaves falling <laughs> falling know, yeah right yeah yeah it's definitely been a really awesome ride since i've moved here i'm super blessed <laughs> and what prompted you to move from miami to burnsville north carolina yeah, I have to give credit to my family. I am part of a beautiful blended family and they needed to settle down from the big city life. Uh, I felt myself that I was getting stuck out there if I didn't do something or make a big change. And it, I was easily convinced. They were like, Kami, we have mountains over there. We have waterfalls and hikes. I said, say oh, less. <laughs> I was like, say less. I'm in. Let's go. And yeah, I made the trip and I was like, the best decision I've ever made ever. <laughs> wow. So some yeah. of your family moved here prior to you getting here and they prompted and pulled you this direction. Yeah, I, I would say they actually took a slower process to move here. They mentioned they were going to be moving here. They just needed to make that transition. I was so ready to leave that I just <laughs> jumped ship and I went to a different city. So I was actually in Chapel Hill prior to this. And I was waiting for them essentially to move to Burnsville. And then I would go and I eventually moved in or moved to Burnsville as well. And yeah, now I'm here and living in so Miami's a city of millions of people, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of skyscrapers, just just and, a lot of people. <laughs> and Burnsville is a very small town of thousands? I think, than, I think it's less than 2,000 people or right around wow. the 2,000 mark. Yeah. <laughs> what has that been like for you? Honestly... People, every time I mention where I'm from at the places that I work or the people that I meet in town, 
they are stunned to find out that I'm loving it here. I don't know if maybe I never really had the chance to live in a small town to know that maybe I am really fit for a small town vibe. And living in a big city, you're just like, you don't have that opportunity to be in a quiet place for a, a long time. So I, at first, honest, I loved it. I didn't know anyone. And I felt like it was a new chapter in my life where I can just be the most authentic version of myself without Mm -hmm. anyone knowing my background. They don't know where I came from, how I was raised. They just get to know me as me and my curiosity, obviously, like just learning about what people do out here. And people fell in love with that idea and that person. And I love that because I'm like, I'm so happy with this version of myself. And again, I do really feel the most authentic at this time of my life. And I'm so grateful to know that these people like this version of me because I like this version of me. And I I really moved here also with the idea of building community. And that was mm-hmm. really important to me. Obviously living in a small town, it's hard not to. And I definitely built that community here and I'm just beyond grateful for that. Wow. Yeah. And so when you arrived here, you had a, I'm going to air quotes to this, a job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you arrived here and somehow the job evaporated and you had to start mm-hmm. afresh. Mm-hmm. How, how did that transition happen that you actually got interested in farming? So I had that job for a few months while I was still living in Burnsville. So literally any time of my free time I had, I was out outside, either outside or in my town. I didn't have a car at the time, but I lived right near downtown. So I would bike everywhere. Uh And so I went to bike group events. I went to our farmer's market. I went to our local brewery home place that had all these tons of events like farmer's markets and yoga and hula hoop classes. And so I just made the most of my free time building the community little by little with the little time that I had because those these corporate jobs literally just sucked the life out of you. And so by the time that I was done with that job and they let us go, I was free to now spend more time doing these things that brought me joy. And so one of the first things I did, I went to the market on a Thursday at home place, like I usually do every week. Uh And I met with my my dear friend, Rachel, who owns a farm. And I was like, she's like, how's it going? I was like, great. I just got laid off and I have two months of paid (laughs) vacation essentially. So I am loving it. I'm going to take advantage, but I would love to continue. I want to volunteer more on your farm. And then that kind of sparked a bunch of things that started happening in my life. Yeah. Wow. And I love your attitude. You're not bummed that you got laid off, but you're excited that you got laid off. Oh, yeah. I probably was one of the only people like I had to control my face because I was smiling and (gasps) but I had to also understand that these people also got laid off with me have families and they're Mm -hmm. not trying to leave or start farming. (laughs) So I I obviously empathize with the people who did get laid off. It was a blessing for me in my life. Mm Yeah, I've been been self-employed since I was 15. That was 47 years ago. And I've had some, I've had 30 something businesses and some of them lasted a a finger snap and others, I have two or three that are over two decades old. Mm. And every time I transition from one to the next, there's this, oh my gosh, 
but then the other side of that coin that shows up really quickly is, oh my gosh, how exciting. What do I get to create next? Mm -hmm. And you totally jumped into that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I took advantage full time. <laughs> All right. So now you're working on a farm. Yes, I'm working on a farm. What are you doing? And tell me about that. Yeah. So I work at a farm called Healthy Planted, which yep. this has been a, a journey for me as well as learning how to live through these seasons. Mm -hmm. And I help with essentially all the farm work you can think of, weeding, planting, harvesting, watering, taking care of the chickens, fertilizing, mulching. That's been one of my projects recently is mulching and setting up the beds for the winter yeah. so that the soil can do its thing while we're all bundled up inside and not having to take care of too much outside work. Yeah. And that's when the did farming you, part of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When did you start farming there? I started farming here quite literally when I got laid off, which was about March. Yeah. Great. So you've been through a growing season there. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the exciting things that you learned throughout that growing season? Because you're a brand new farmer. It's like, you've not ever mm -hmm. done this before. It's what do I do? Yeah, I can say that seedlings become your babies. You mm. should not be traveling during that time. <laughs> you need to take care of them and water them every day, sometimes twice a day, so that you don't lose those plants. I would also say the importance of when you're watering as well, at mm -hmm. least up here, we have mountains that cover the sun for a good amount of time in the morning. And also the importance of compost. That's something I'm really fascinated about. And I've been learning more even here on the homestead that I live at. And yeah, this part of the season is all new for me too. So I'm completing the whole year, this farm work. And I would say this is probably the most challenging because it's not like the ritual of like harvesting, planting, D, D, right? There's like a rhythm that I'm losing because now it's... Uh, okay, wait, there's, we got to cover, we got to mulch, we got to do all these other things to prepare mm -hmm. for winter. So it's definitely, I feel like maybe more challenging for me now, whereas mm -hmm. in the spring and summer and early fall, it's a little more exciting for me because there's so much to do on the farm. Yeah. yeah. Like harvest. Like harvesting. Yeah. That's my was, favorite. <laughs> was there a vegetable or fruit that you grew that it occurred to you, oh my gosh, so that's the way it grows. And let me give you a little backstory on that. Yeah, yeah. Before I grew broccoli 30 years ago, I didn't know how broccoli grew. So I brought a, bought a broccoli plant and let it grow. And it's, oh, that's how they grow. Mm -hmm. I would say a lot. I think for me, the most fascinating fruit that I've discovered up here and mm -hmm. how it grows was ground cherries, also known as husk cherries. Uh-huh. Because I used to eat them, I think, dried. They're called golden berries, and it's like candy to me. Mm -hmm. And I was eating them one day, and I looked at the bag, and it had little icons and drawings of a husk cherry. And that's essentially showing where these golden berries came from. And I was just mind blown. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no wonder, because I've tried them here at the farmer's market for the first time. 
from my friend Madison and she had me try these and they were like a pineapple apple burst in your mouth and each one will taste different depending on what like phase of the mm -hmm. of ripening time it's in and so I I was in love with them so I she would make sure that every week I would come that she would save me a little batch so that I, I knew I was going to buy a pouch um, of them and I would say ground cherries are definitely that one because and they're also to me the easiest to harvest because the plant does its its own harvesting they just drop <laughs> exactly. so you're you're literally just picking up the plant and just seeing which ones fall you can shake it a little bit and you just start picking up and I also just like harvesting because you get to munch a little bit as you harvest as you go, for yeah. the markets right after we got here and yeah. we also arrived in April of 2022 Okay. Mm -hmm. And we were at the farmer's market and this lady was selling something called the ground cherry. And it was a little plant about four inches tall. And I bought one, not having a clue because <laughs> that's how we discover this new stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not, not having a clue. I brought it home and I put it in a pot and it grew to three feet tall and it made all these amazing little nuggets packets of and the reason i say packets is because you're right that's got this little husk around them uh -huh, you peel uh -huh. off like a tomatillo like a, they're in the same family as tomatillos as i've oh, learned yes, yeah very good uh -huh. and interestingly it replanted itself the next year yeah. in the same pot they're yeah. that that explosive in their growth mm -hmm. yeah i remember at the farm so i got them from my friend Madison at her farmer's market. And then the Thursday market with Rachel, she was selling them. And I obviously was buying some for myself. And this woman was like, what are those? I have a plant of them on my property and I didn't plant them. They just came with the, the property. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh my God, you need to try these. So I'm like giving her some from my little bag that I just got. And she's like, oh my God, these are amazing. I was like, you have been blessed with a present, a gift from nature on your property <laughs> now. And like you said, they plant themselves. They see them, like they, if you let them go, they're already decomposing in the soil. And then now you have more for next year. And it's just, yeah. oh, it's so fun. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you're at the farmer's market now and mm -hmm. actually you're standing in a stand and interacting with people at the farmer's market? Yeah. So the farmer's market I work at is on Saturdays. That uh -huh. one actually just finished about a month ago because of the seasons. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm at a stand at a booth with my dear friend, Michelle, who's a beekeeper of over 10 years of experience. Wow. And we sell honey all different, I would say, I don't want to say flavors, but varieties of nectar sources. So I just thought of honey as honey. We just get one right. honey, wildflower. I did start hearing of the orange blossom honey. And mm. then it didn't occur to me that these are the nectar sources that the bees are getting the honey and the nectar from, and that's mm. making it into honey through their process. But yeah, she sells, her famous one is sourwood because it's like pure sourwood from the sourwood tree, very clear. She can even taste whether someone else's has pure sourwood if, her, if it's mixed with something. She sells basswood, blackberry, a combination of wildflower. She was the first person that I met when uh -huh. I moved to Burnsville. So within 24 hours that I moved here, literally drove here the very next day, 
was Saturday. I went to the farmer's market because I was yes. so excited that I right? live right across the street from this place. And sure enough, I was like, I was already on this journey of like only buying local honey. I had seen a documentary on Netflix called Rotten and they were speaking about honey and what the store-bought honey is mixed with like rice syrup and oh, all of that yeah. kind of just threw me off. And I was like, no, we are only supporting local beekeepers. So I was already on like my fourth year journey of local honey only. I bought honey. I'm putting in my phone number for my text receipt because we don't want to waste paper here. And mm -hmm. she sees my 305 area code, which is for Miami, South Florida. And she's, oh my God, you're from South Florida. I was like, mm. I didn't really want to tell people I was because I've heard that people up here are not too fond of Floridians, so uh -huh. to speak. So I'm trying to think of, oh yeah, I'm from the Triangle area because I had just moved from Chapel Hill. If someone, she's like, oh, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale for a long time. So oh, wow. Once she says that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm from Miami. Hi, I just moved here. I was like, bees are awesome. I would love to check out your hives one day if you give me the opportunity. I'll help, I'll work, whatever you need me to do. But I just, I want to learn more about bees. And sure enough, that was a whole full, full circle because the very next year for the market time, we grew closer as friends and she had asked me if I can help her with working at the farmer's market. She had just had a baby. So it was really hard for her to have to do it on her own. And now I'm the honey girl on Saturdays that oh. sells honey, gives tasting. So that's always the best part. I am always like getting my catchphrases. I'm like, it's like wine tasting with no hangover. Help out your allergies with the wildflower. I was like, we do tastings here and people are always fascinated by the flavors. And just like I was my very first time, I didn't, I've never tasted a variety of honeys like that back to really taste the flavors. And bees just have an abundance of other things that you can use their byproduct with. So mm -hmm. like the wax, she makes candles. She uses propolis for, which is a resin that bees also collect. And they, she uses that for an immune system, some drops for your, for your throat that help with mm -hmm. any sort of throat infection. She has salves that she uses other herbal things, but mixed with honey and wow. just, it's just really cool. I love that part of my job. <laughs> You're not excited about this, are you? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So how long have you been working at the farmer's market in the honey booth? So the honey booth, I believe the market starts in April. So I've been working from April to November helping wow. my friend Michelle. Yeah. So you've had a lot of opportunities to interact with people in the booth at the farmer's market. Oh, yeah. Lots of people. I love it. Is there been one one instance and I know I'm throwing you a curveball here, but was yeah. there one instance that you interacted with somebody that once you were done, it was like, oh yeah, that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing? I would say with children, I don't know. I can't think of one instance right now without like maybe taking a few minutes to think about mm -hmm. it, but I feel like anytime children come, that's what is really cool to me. I know one specifically, we had done a kid's event called Toes in the Toe, where I got to help with our bee club here in town, teaching fifth graders about the importance of bees. And I told these kids that we were interacting with that they should support local beekeepers, buy local um, honey. We had two markets in town. I told them about them. 
to so that they can support our my friends, literally my friends that are selling their honey. And so I was like, and if you want to see me again, you should come to the Saturday market in Yancey County, in Burnsville. And I got to see two kids that showed up from that event. And oh. at first I didn't recognize them because obviously I'm interacting with so many people that those that yep. event with the kids, there was over 200 kids that I had to interact with. But I can tell because it was the very next market from that event. And the girl was like looking at me with her eyes smiling of like, I'm so excited to be here. And so I was looking like, were you at the Toas in the Toe event? And she was like, yeah, I was like, I'm so happy you came and you brought your family. And so her family was there and I got to give them the tasting, wow. which again, it's four different honeys that we're giving liquid honeys. And then we have two sp uh, spun honeys also called whipped honeys. So it's just a blast in your mouth of all these flavors. And it was just really cool that I got two kids from that event to actually come out. Granted, maybe they came out to other ones, but that I specifically remember that was really special. But they special. came and found you. They came and found me. Yes. Nice. And it was really special to to see them for sure. Nice. Yeah. And in your intro that I did for you, you mentioned something in your bio called an honor stand. Mm -hmm. What is an honor stand and where does it happen at? <laughs> yeah. So... Rachel is the owner of this honor stand. She is the one, she's also the owner of the farm that I work at. This mm -hmm. is right in town. So she's about a block and a half, maybe two blocks from our main street. And I'll envision this for you. You drive mm -hmm. up to her address that she posts online in our group, uh, Facebook groups, in the local newspaper as well. She, you drive up to this carport. And you see these tables filled with goodies and yumminess. And then you see a big refrigerator that also has bags of produce. So you walk up, usually there's not anyone actually there to greet you unless mm -hmm. you see me walking around because I'm working or Rachel's out there trying to fill up some space. But you show up and then there's signs everywhere that kind of tell you like, weigh out what you this is an honor stand it's essentially telling you that we trust you to select the items you want and that you will pay us for this whether there's a little cash and check drop off she has her venmo code there her paypal code and she even has bags for you to do she has a, a little compost bin there so that people who do regularly bring their things they can compost any scraps that they have and you have these tables filled with jams and jellies and ferments and pickled stuff and marinara sauce. And these are all things coming from the garden. Then you have another wow. table of these eco-friendly shampoos and, and conditioners and body products and chapsticks and the produce that can stay out at the time, right? Tomatoes, potatoes, um, ground cherries, squash right now the table's filled with different squash mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. pumpkins and and popcorn so we have some popcorn kernels or corn kernels i should say but they're specifically meant for popcorn and yeah and then you also have the fridge where we have most of the leafy greens we have parsnips we have carrots and broccoli wow a lot of it over there in the fridge is already weighed out for you and there's different price ranges and there is the, the for me my favorite sign on the fridge says if you are in a position financially where you cannot afford something please just take it so i, I get goosebumps just thinking about it because wow. i come 
Yeah. Like I come from a place and I think I mentioned this when I first met you is I come from Miami where your bike will get stolen even when it's locked onto something. Mm. So for me, I'm like, you have all of this stuff just laying out here and nobody, obviously it's the honor system of life, of community, of putting yourself in that position and not wanting, just doing good, spreading love. And that to me was just I was in shock that we had something like that and it was so close <laughs> right? to me and I was I for the first time walking up was just fascinated with this idea and I loved it because I'm like wow this shows me that I'm living in a really great neighborhood in a town mm -hmm. where I can trust the people in my community to not <laughs> steal my bike and granted I tested that out by leaving my bike out for a few days and nothing happened but yeah the honor stand is she calls it the honor produce stand she promotes it every week you can come at any time from sun up to sundown and you're also purchasing in terms of the the seasons to write our produce changes constantly and yeah. we only offer at least the freshest things of what's in season versus the jams and jellies can stay a little bit longer and she has all sorts of jams and jellies you got and these are like hibiscus jam that comes from the hibiscus flowers that she grew on the property you have elderberry syrup elderberry jam there was one that had all the berries we got raspberry yeah. strawberry blueberry a mix of them it's really cool and i'm proud to be working at a place that offers something like that she also donates and if she has a surplus of certain leafy greens that she doesn't want to go bad she'll donate it to one of our community garden that does some drop-offs for people who don't have the means to to purchase these kinds of mm -hmm. things at, I grew up with that dynamic of <clears throat> giving back to the community and volunteering and just giving. So that to me was really special to be a part of this farm that does something like that. Wow. In yeah. less than two years, you have created a magical life for yourself. I have. Yeah. I could cry just thinking about it. <laughs> I really can. <laughs> wow. And obviously it makes you feel fulfilled. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. I would never have imagined myself being in the position that I am right now. But I can tell you when I, as I mentioned, I was under a rock for a few years and mm -hmm. now I'm slowly emerging and I'm, my friends are getting married. So I'm starting to take these trips back to my group of friends from back home who haven't heard from me in years. And the first thing I start telling them is I'm a farmer. I'm also <laughs> a new beekeeper because I have bees now. And they're just fascinated and they're so happy for me and the way that I talk about it and they just, they feel my excitement and it's just, it's really special, especially now being able to walk through the market and be like, hey, Henry, hey, Brian, what's up, Michelle? Hey, Lori, I know all of these farmers' names. They know my name. Like that to me is just, <laughs> I could cry just thinking about it, really. It, it's really special. Wow. Yeah. And you made this transition in your early 30s. Yeah, I'm only 30. So this was like 29 and 30 where this wow. big change happened. <laughs> yeah. That's just magic. Mm -hmm. That's just magic. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just saying I'm really proud of myself for making it here and, and building this life and community for myself. All right. Raise your hand. Do this and pat yourself on the back. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure 
and what you learned from it? Yeah, this is a big one. I pondered uh, on this. I would say my biggest lesson that I've learned from an event in my life would be I made a really large investment with an ex-partner of mine. Mm -hmm. And this investment was solely in my name. And that was a very silly move, given that when we were planning this investment, I was just eager to like have change. I really wanted change. I liked the excitement of what this investment was going to bring. And my gut was telling me, no, Mm. don't do it. Danger, abort mission now. (laughs) And it really goes to show that when you have certain people, maybe some certain toxic people in your life, how easily influenced you can be with decisions that you decide to make for what you think is for yourself, but maybe are influencing these other people more. And yeah, it ended up being a very, it, the, the ending did not go well. It was a very poor decision I made. And h- how did I overcome that? I, the support of my family and my friends. I don't want to go too much into details, but I can say that I definitely if it wasn't for them, I don't know how I would have gotten out of that mess. And mm. I'm very grateful for support of people. That's That comes back to the whole idea of community, right? And, and these people that I'm referring to, and even when I say family, they're not even blood, but because blood family doesn't need to be blood. I have a huge blended family, and this is like what I consider family. And also just thinking of, of what my mom would be thinking about me, and she wouldn't want me to be caught up in this mess and just dwelling on what I did and just moving forward. (laughs) I I realized this blessing of a place that I live in and that I don't need to interact and continue with reminding myself of that lesson that I learned Mm. and just also learning from it. I was in a position where I was, I can, if I meet someone and I find myself in a position where something might want to follow through those same lines, now I know to listen to my gut. <laughs> so really the big lesson is you didn't listen to yourself. I didn't listen to myself. I didn't mm. trust myself to make that decision. And it was so upsetting at the end. But yeah. now it's like, I need to listen to myself first mm-hmm. and screw whoever else is in that picture, who, who, regardless of who it is. Like you, we really have to trust our own instincts. And yeah. I failed to do that. <laughs> and- well, you yeah. learned early on. I did. I know. That's a valuable <laughs> lesson to learn that early. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you consider your biggest success? I would consider my biggest success to be taking that leap of faith and moving. I would say moving in general, because there's been two points in my life where I've made two big moving decisions. One was right after my mom passed away. I was in 11th grade of high school or about to begin my junior year. And I was given the opportunity to move to Bolivia. At first, I was like, no, don't want to do that. Never lived there as a conscious adult or kid knowing what Uh is going to happen. I was just like, no. And so all the plans were for me to stay in Miami with one of my aunts. The very next day that my mom passed, it was like an instant shift. I was like, I cannot live here. 
I want to move to Bolivia. I want to be with my mom's family. And it was a whole ordeal, but my family made it happen and I moved. And wow. it was the best decision of my life. I have met a really dear best friend of mine who I got to see get married just a few months ago. And I got to spend that grieving year with my family. And it was just really special to be in the place where my mom was born, where my brother was born too. I'm first generation American. So I'm the only one in my family that was born in the US in terms of my immediate family. And mm -hmm. that was a big success to me because I, when else do you get an opportunity to live in a different country and then also go to an American school where all of your credits are working properly? But then I guess the other move would be the move that I made to North Carolina because mm -hmm. I was really struggling and I thought I was going to get stuck in that Miami lifestyle. Not to throw any shade on that. It's just not my lifestyle. The lifestyle up here is definitely more <laughs> geared towards what I'm looking for. And it's more common. Like you drive around here and so many people have their little gardens. Like I, yeah. I grew up in apartments. I never lived in a house. At a minimum, we had house plants, but nothing edible. So that was like a really awesome, to me was a success because I don't know how long I would have been living in South Florida and just feeling stuck. Yeah. Wow. And <laughs> what drives you? What's your big why? Oh, I feel like not just the future of our planet, but mm -hmm. the ones who are going to be living in it. So like our future generation, the kids, I, for most of my adult career and job experiences have been revolving around children. So me and kids go hand in hand and just thinking about what could go wrong or what could go right. And yeah education. I was a teacher for a few years in my in Miami. And so trying to teach the kids of how they could be on the right side of history was like imperative to me. And I think for me, my drive is just thinking of the my students that I've had, my campers that I've had, all of the kids that I've interacted in one way or another, just all of the children that deserve a better future for what we're going to leave them. And also the education portion of it, I feel is so important for them to learn, not just mm -hmm. to be given all of this stuff. But yeah, I guess my drive would be just like thinking of the children that of what we're leaving behind for them. Interesting. I've had over 800 episodes on the podcast. So I've had 800 answers to this question. Mm -hmm. The reason I do what I do, and I don't have any kids. Mm. But it's for our kids. We need to leave the world a better place. And mm -hmm. wow. So that's, mm -hmm. you're in the same place. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Yeah, I was torn between two books. Um, I'll mention both of them, but I guess I'll gear towards one. The first one is The Art of Happiness in a Troubled World. So it's with the Dalai Lama and a friend of his that was helping mm -hmm. write it, Howard Cutler. And then mm -hmm. the other one is Ishmael. So that one I highly Whoa. recommend. Well, really? By, by Daniel Quinn. It's this is the reason I asked this question <laughs> is because that's my book. It is a great, and I only read this only a few years ago. I didn't even mm -hmm. hear about this book. And this book has been out for decades. <laughs> yep, 92, I think it came out is when yeah. I read it. 
Yeah, and to think of how relevant it is decades later exactly. is wild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I cried. It's, it's very moving. So it's a conversation between a gorilla and a man. The gorilla is Ishmael and gorilla is the teacher. Can you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, so the narrator is the student, as you said, the gorilla is the teacher, he wants Yep. to learn a, a life lesson of how to save the world, I believe was the ad of what Exactly. started it all. The teacher, as a normal teacher would, doesn't just give all the information, right? They really want the students to learn and find it out on their own, but guide them. And so the whole book takes that journey of learning about these quote unquote takers and quote unquote leavers and how these takers of the world are not following that what they call the peacekeeping law in our Mm community hmm of life the takers are getting rid of all these competitors they're User uppers, they use yeah things they up. Yep. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're and not on top of that they're also now constantly increasing our food supply right which also increases population and it's just like this circle that if we don't change things dramatically it, we're just going downhill and it you're just thinking you're like oh my god are they is this book being written right now from now like what's happening in life right now because it's it really is crazy to think of how old this book is and how relatable it is to what we're seeing nowadays and Yeah. yeah i don't want to give anything else away but what a impactful book that was for me and I liked it also because obviously you're reading it from the narrator point of view and you're just like, I felt like I was a student as I was reading Yeah. this with Ishmael being my teacher of, aha, you're not thinking, you're not using your brain, think again. And I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, what does he mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a life-changing <laughs> book for me back when I read it too. mm -hmm. So, wow. That's Yeah. Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. I did have an opportunity to get him on the podcast before he passed away. Unfortunately, he said, I'm writing a new book. Let me put the new book out. Then you can be on my, then I can be on your podcast. And then he passed away before the book was done. That was a big bummer for me, but I've read every, he's got like 14 books out and Yeah, go for it. It's an amazing book. Ishmael Mm. Yeah. by Daniel Quinn. Yeah, strongly recommend. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say to always be honest with yourself and to take chances. Honestly, if an opportunity comes up, don't be afraid to go and take it. Don't be afraid to quote unquote fail, right? Because either you'll win on this opportunity or you'll learn something from it. It's not necessarily <laughs> right? that you fail, but you're definitely going to learn something from this experience. So yeah, I would definitely say Be honest with yourself, listen to your gut and take chances. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kami. Yeah. Thanks for having me. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, I am a little more private on the social media for now, right? As Mm hmm I continue on this journey, I do hope that I can come back on and have some more public websites and businesses that I can promote. But I, if anyone does want to reach out and have a conversation, I would say my email is probably the best way to get in contact with me, which would be crazyaboutmyplanet at gmail.com.
<laughs> awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash crazy about my planet. Sweet. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.